And I wonder, and maybe you just want to very quickly to the people around you, what is your favorite book or favorite movie that has like an adventure in it? where the main character might say, we're going on an adventure, a journey story, something where somebody goes from this place to another and has all these things to overcome. Maybe just quickly, what is your favorite journey story or adventure story or movie or book or something like that? If you're online, you might want to post it. One of mine, obviously, is The Lord of the Rings. I don't know about you guys. What's, come on, tell each other. Anyone want to shout one out? Petty? You're there by yourself? The Hunt for Red October. All right. The Hunt for Red October. Bit of a history buffet, mate. No. (laughs) Just like Sean Connery. Yeah. Anybody else want to shout one out that they think is quintessential journey adventure? What? Coral Island. Cool. I've not heard of it, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it on the list. Put on, is it on Netflix? Uh, no. Uh, probably can't watch it then. <laughs> Anything else? Shrek. Raiders of Lost Ark was on last night. Didn't watch it, but isn't it a classic? A brilliant, brilliant one. Shrek? Wizard of Oz? Wizard of Oz? We're off to see the wizard. All right. Well, why do I talk about journeys? Well, one, because Ezra 7, 8 are about the journey that Ezra and the crew that were heading back to start working on the people of God, really, took. But also, because when you think about journeys, and particularly the stories I love, I love a good journey story, an adventure, but I, I think my favourites are where you learn more about the characters along the way, and the actual story doesn't matter quite as much. It's not that the details don't matter, I'm not saying the journey doesn't matter, but the journey's details seem to be less important than the development of the characters. And I reckon something like Lord of the Rings has that. I reckon the Mummy trilogy definitely has that. I actually fell in love with the Mummy If you've not seen it, don't. But it's Brendan Fraser in that. It's some of his finest work ever. I, I love a good adventure story where you learn about the characters. And when I was younger, I think that was one of the first movies I realised that when it got to the end and a character was standing about to disappear and I started to cry because I connected so much with this character. Aside from that, when I was thinking about this, I then thought about what happens, HSC, anybody remember what their HSC English was all about? Mine was the journey. It's all about the journey and not the destination. Apparently it's been then belonging and then, was it discovery last year? I'm looking for some sort of acknowledgement. Yeah? That made me shudder a little bit remembering that. I'm sorry to anybody else that's still overcoming those feelings. But Ezra 7 and 8, just like what, in a way, HSC English is trying to do, is trying to say, trying to show us, yep, there's a narrative. Yep, there is an adventure and a journey. But within that, there is something to be learnt about the characters or about what's actually happening along the way that teaches you about yourself and about others. The purpose of the text, the purpose of this text is not just historical in saying, yep, Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes, Heather, Artaxerxes, I can't say it. Art was trying, his friends call him Art, Art was sending these people back to continue to do his schemes, but at the same time, God was at work doing exactly what it is that he wanted to have happen. And so what we're going to see today is not that the journey doesn't matter, but that the details seem less important than what we learn about the main character and then the secondary character. The secondary character, whose name is actually Ezra, 
who we're finally meeting, the namesake of this book, we're finally getting to meet in chapter 7. And what we learn about him is that he is a priest, a scribe, and he has an almighty God who takes him and uses him. And I don't want to draw too many straight lines toward us and our experience, but I think we can draw some at least parallel ones. We can understand our role as we journey in this life. And so I'm hoping as we take a look at this, that we can apply it very directly to how it is that we seek to journey through our lives. All right, to catch us up to speed, chapter 7, verse 1 begins by saying, after these things, after this, which almost sounds like it's saying the other day, right? It's almost like saying, I I do this all the time, Um, you know, we come from just around the way, which sometimes that can be 10 to 40 kilometres away, but it sounds like after these things, after this, it's quite a short time, but to help us understand what's just happened... The people have come back, they've rebuilt or started rebuilding the temple and they've got this thing built. They've had a Passover celebration where everybody sang, well, most sang praises and were super stoked. There was a mixed fit feeling around all of it because some also wept. And now, after these things, which is actually 60 years later, we get the next phase in the story. Put your hand up if you're older than 60. Sorry, that was rude, wasn't it? Should have done it the other way, right? So your whole life, nothing sort of, of significance seemed to happen except that Ezra was born, except that the people of God were doing their thing, and we do have accounts elsewhere with other prophets, but in this narrative, what they're saying is this is the next significant thing. Why? Because Ezra starts rocking up, the priest and the scribe. And so let's have a look, have a look. Read with me verse 1 again of chapter 7, and then we'll see what this says. After these things, during the reign of Art, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, and it goes on, verse 6, this Ezra came up from Babylon. Actually, look at the end of verse 5, the son of Aaron, the chief priest, this Ezra came up from Babylon. I don't know how you normally introduce yourself. There's a few people, Margaret's, there's a couple of Margaret's in this church, and I have to be honest, when I first, I, I met, I didn't know which one was which. I needed to start to learn whether it was Margaret, Margaret, or microwave Margaret, you know what I'm saying? As in, which Margaret are we actually talking about? Jenny, Jenny, or microwave Jenny? How do you identify who a person is? Well, usually we do it with, like, our last names, don't we? And throughout history, that's kind of changed. They've identified people with that sort of last name. as You're identifying them with those groups of people, but also with a purpose. And the practice in the ancient East, and the practice for the Israelites, was the genealogy would tell it. So you'd have Isaiah, Son of Chris, son of, what's your dad's name? Phil. Phil. What's your dad's name, Phil? Son of Henry. Henry's not here today, but you would be able to trace it back, right? Micah, son of Brett, son of Robert, son of, I I think it's Arthur, I feel terrible, I think I forgot my grandfather's name. But you get the point. We trace it back. Here, it's got a bigger significance than that again, because where did it end? Have a look, verse 5, the climax of it, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. This little genealogy has been written, and we sort of read through it, and we're like, whoa, how did we get through that, all those names? But it has a purpose. In fact, it should be even longer, because they've skipped some generations to make the point even clearer. But the point is, Ezra has come from the line of Aaron, the chief priest. Ezra comes from the line of the priests, and here he comes back to Jerusalem, the priest. This man, this Ezra, priest. And you see, priests had particular purposes, and this is really important for the people of Israel. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll see 
we would have thought, why? Because they've set up the rhythms and rituals of how it is that they need to function. Now they need to really, as a people, make sure they're doing it right. A priest was particularly in charge of the sacrificial system. So they dealt in atonement, in making sure that the people of God were okay with God. And then they were teachers. They administered and teach the Torah. And they were also like the temple managers. They made sure all the things in the temple were going the right way. They had all the resources they need. But ultimately, and this is where I want us all to hear very carefully, ultimately, what was the priest's goal? It was to teach the people obedience to God in all things, every part of their life, and experience, to be able to experience the nearness of God at all times. Man, how good is that? To live life as it should be at the end of the day. And what's interesting is as Ezra goes back, we actually start to think about, because it's reminding us of Exodus again, what was God's purposes all along? His purposes all along was actually that His whole nation, all His people would be a kingdom of priests. Let me read to you Exodus 19, which is the book that happens just after Israel's come out of Egypt and are about to be made God's people. This is what He says to them. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of what? Priests and a holy nation. The issue was though, and the reason why they were in exile and now I'm going to come back, was they kept failing. Even, spoiler alert to this journey story, they fail again. Even Ezra stuffs up. Even though I'm going to show you he is a top bloke. They will fail. They're always going to because they're waiting for something greater. And every week, I'm going to try and do this before we head into the practical. Because they're waiting not for Ezra, son of Aaron. They're waiting for Jesus, son of God, the Most High, who came to be the great high priest, who entered into the holy spaces, making sure he did all the sacrificial stuff he needed to properly and sent his Holy Spirit to be the teacher and now manages you, the temple. He was meant to come. And so now we, the temple, are actually built together and are called in 1 Peter 2, listen to this, you, you, my brothers and sisters, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That is who we are. Just like Ezra, a little different, but like the purposes were, We are the ones who display to the world what it means to live in obedience to God in all things and have the nearness of God with us at all times so that we can be a light to the world just as Israel was always meant to be. Isn't that incredible? That that's how you get to introduce yourself, a son of God most high and son in this sense, a son and daughter of the living, reigning God, a priest in his service. And so our purpose to help people understand that they, that they should be living in line with God's truths because it's the best way to live and they should have that beautiful nearness of God. This Ezra, the priest, and to all of God's people. And so how did he do this? How did he come and bring the reformation needed as the priest? Well, the next little description of him helps with that as well because he, he came and he brought reformation and it didn't quite go as well as we might hope again because we're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, waiting for Jesus but he did it because he was also a scribe. So he was a priest, you're all priests, scribe. Let me show you scribe. If you skip down to verse 6, I stopped. So we've had his introduction, priest, this Ezra, verse 6, came up from Babylon, that's the Exodus language. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. 
The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. I'll come back to that second part. It says he was a, what does it say? A teacher. The word actually is scribe. He was a scribe. And in the secular world, he could have been a scribe or a secretary or something like that. And there's a bit of a play on the word there because that's in some respects how old mate Art thought of him as he was sending him back. And you see that beginning of verse 12. If you have a Bible, it makes it heaps easier. Verse 12, to Ezra the priest, teacher of the law of the God of heaven. He gets it, but he's sending him with a particular purpose. God's got his plans. Because scribe also meant quick and skilled, quick to write, not necessarily um, just to write things down, but this means that this person knew it, had it so close at hand that, well, in verse 12, it says that he had it at, sorry, verse 14, he had it at hand, which is in your hand. Ezra has been sent back, priest and scribe, and in verses 7 and 8, we see he's got all that he needs to go back and bring about the reformation of the people of God. And then in verse 10, this is where I want us to really narrow in for our sake. Verse 10, listen carefully. For Ezra, he could do this because he had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teach its decrees and laws in Israel. He had devoted himself. He had studied. He had observed and now he teaches. When you, see the, when you hear the word devoted, it's actually, it says, set his heart. His whole desire devotion, will, was set towards studying, or you could say carefully investigating, searching and seeking in a really intent way, and then observance. The description for observance is huge, to do and to practice. This is an expansive word that means it covers all of him, so he could then teach it as well. Here is a man who had a deep desire to know what the will of God was, to study and to observe, to seek and do, to investigate and practice, to know and to show, not just to have a bit of an idea and kind of, you might put that into place. No, he listened, he learned, he lived, so he could then love by teaching. Now, when you hear the word study, give me a, a, a vocalization of your feelings. If I say, let's do some study for hours, come on. Ugh. Most people I've asked are just like, Ugh. it doesn't sound like the most fun word, right? But I guarantee every single one of us, when we have something that we've set our will to, our heart to, there are things that we will study and study and study and study and study because we are devoted and love that and know what the outcome is, is that we get to do and enjoy. See, put your hand up if you do coffee. If you do coffee. Right? I didn't say drink it. I didn't say know it. I said, do you do coffee? I do coffee. <laughs> coffee is life. It, like it, hands up if you just drink coffee. Yeah? And, if, and if you get a cup in front of you, you're like, I will drink that no matter how it looks, how it tastes, how it smells. I'll just, I just need it. In fact, just put it straight in the vein. That's even better. Yeah? No? Anyone? Anyone that sort of coffee, caffeine person? You don't want to admit it, do you? No. Fantastic. I didn't do coffee, though, until I was married to Vic. So we've been married 13 years. I didn't drink it at all. Had never really even tasted it. Yet, I might have an obsessive personality, but let me explain how it was that coffee came about to be life. Vic tempted me with coffee by saying, maybe you could learn about it, and you could study what coffee is, and maybe you could make it, you could start making it. And I thought to myself, if I start making it, then I'm going to have to know how it tastes to be able to do it well. And so I did, I did some research about how it is that you're meant to do it. And it was a sort of a shallow understanding initially. And I had my first ever coffee, a weak mocha, and it wasn't any good. 
but I started to appreciate the art behind what this coffee really is all about. And so I, I very quickly went from not drinking coffee at all to, well, we bought a machine and um, I was very much enjoying it and learning how to do it. And then eventually that machine was not quite good enough, so we bought another machine to go with that and a grinder because you need to have the right sort of grinder. I did a lot of research around which sort of grinder you should have to go with this particular machine and oh, I can't afford that one, but I can do this one. I did study, 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 study. I can show you the notes. It's all there. It's all fantastic. YouTube video after YouTube video. I was invested. My heart was desiring this deeply. I started roasting coffee as well, and so I was roasting my coffee because I wanted to be able to understand it and know exactly what it is that goes into that cup that I drink and sort of enjoy, that I really enjoy. I was committed to this, and so I studied. And then what's the point in studying all that stuff if you're not going to apply it and do it? And I love coffee, I do coffee, and I love sharing coffee. And now I'm passing it on, not to my kids just yet, but Matt, who came and painted our house, I walked in and we were talking, do you want a coffee, Matt? I'll go buy you one. He's like, yeah, mate, just give me this. I said, no. What you want is this, 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 and this. And he fell in love with it too. And I'm going to, we're all going to fall in love with it, right? No, you don't have to. In fact, it's probably better not to drink it, let's be real. Coffee, it's just coffee. It's not the words of the living God that allows for me to live in the exact way that he has designed me to be. It's just coffee. And yet I was devoted. I can guarantee there will be things in your life that you will have studied in similar sorts of ways. And yep, I have an obsessive personality and Vic took complete advantage of that so she could get a coffee every morning. But are you devoted? Like, that's the sort of word, that's, Ezra seems to be, he does the law. He does this thing. Desired. He has, there's an obsessive nature about it. It makes sense, doesn't it? When, when we apply that to something, we want to be, when we've studied something, experts in what it is that we do. And if we are the people of God, that's what we do. We listen and we learn, we live, and then we can teach it. This is what discipleship is, right? This is what it means to be the people of God. And it's shown actually throughout the letter and the journey that at the end of the day, that's what really seems to matter. Ezra's task, he's sent back by old mate Art to go and do his thing and his focus is the law, to teach the law, yep, to make sure that the temple's working and it's functioning as well, but the Torah, the law, is so clearly on display. Have a look at the end, because what happens is Art, Art, I'm not going to go there, sends him with this letter so that people around know this is what he's doing. And listen to what Art Art says at the end of his letter. Verse 25, verse 26. And you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God, which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice to all the people of trans-Euphrates, who... All who know the laws of your God. Without even realising it, this secular leader is bringing about theological reform. And you are to teach any who do not know them. Whoever does not obey, there is punishment, there is consequences. Isn't that incredible? That this secular ruler knows that he sent, and he sends someone who, verse 14, it says, what there? What's it say there? You go to Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. He knew this guy was going to go back and bring about this stuff. And actually, no, God knew that this guy was going to go back and helped Art make that decision. He had the law in his hand. When you think about what's in your hand, it means it's not literally saying he was walking around with this huge number of scrolls of the law. No, he had it with him. What is in the hand of... I I drive these days and people sitting at bus stops used to be a book. You know what it is these days? What's in people's hands these days? A phone, device in their hand. What's in your hand, ready to use? 
is it Scripture? That's what we're talking about here, the law, the Torah, God's story of who He is and who His people are to be. If you're a part of Menai Baptist Church, we've made a commitment together this term to really focus in on Scripture, on meditation and memorization. And we're memorizing at the moment Joshua 1.8. We're trying to keep each other accountable to that as well. How is it that you can make sure that you are dedicating yourself to be devoted, to be studying, and then so then observing and living this Word of God? Because these are the words that help to make us authentic priests in this world. It's what matters most. Obedience in all things, nearness of God at all times. That's what God's Word gives us and tells us. And now, yeah, Ezra fails and stuffs up, and there's a reason for it. And that reason actually points towards you and what you all have, which is far greater than what even Ezra had. We know that, right? Ezekiel promised it. Ezekiel 36, he says, I will give you, God says, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Ezra didn't have that particular promise fulfilled for him yet. The same one that in Hebrews 8 we hear, God says, I'll put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I'll be their God and they will be my people. That's you and me because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Christ Jesus is our great high priest. We are a kingdom of priests, Menai Baptist Church bringing reform and revival, restoration and renewal to a world that needs it. And so we need to be schooled in it, to listen, to learn, and then to live and to love in a good way. And that needs to happen in an authentic and consistent way. Please see Ezra as a model for us, that what he taught, he had first lived, and what he lived, he had first learnt. He had a confidence about that. You don't want to show up... (laughs) I could get in trouble here with the coffee illustration, couldn't I? You, when, when you go to a cafe, you, when you get whatever it is, you want the person that's cooking the chicken, let's say, let's go away from coffee, to know you don't leave it pink, you don't serve chicken rare, right? To understand and then to apply it in a really good way so that you get the goods. Kidna, um, in one of these commentaries, said this beautifully. Study was saved from unreality. Because you know how often we can study things and it just becomes... I was talking to a a year 12 student who's saying that they feel that way about maths. Sorry, maths teachers, but they're like, when am I ever going to use trigonometry? Teach me about um, crypto. (laughs) Study was saved. Study was saved from unreality. Conduct from uncertainty, as in we now knew what we needed to do, and teaching from insincerity. Because if you're going to teach something, we want to know it's sincere and real and authentic. That's what discipleship is. And I want to show you really quickly how, if you flick to Matthew 28, the New Testament picks this up. And in fact, Jesus does. Listen to these words and tell me that this isn't there. Verse 18, he says, so Jesus is risen, he's about to ascend. And he says to his disciples before he goes, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you see it there? You have to know it, that He is the one that has all authority. You have to be able to live it and deliver it and teach it, to be obedient in all things and near with God in all things, and you know what the promise is, I am always with you, He says. And so to wrap up, I want to show you how that was true for Ezra. And remind you, this is true for us. Because yes, Ezra was a scribe and a priest, but he had an almighty guide that went with him on this incredible journey. He had this man, God, who went with him. 
Let me show you very, very quickly, and I'm just going to skim through, because in this journey, as he comes to Ezra, you would have picked it up before when I read verse 6, but let me read it again for you. We have the gracious guide with him. Look at verse 6 again. The king had granted him, second half, everything he asked. Why? For the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. And then look at verse 9. What do we see again? He began his journey from Babylon on the first day, the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day, the fifth month. Why? The gracious hand of his God was on him. And then flick over to verse 28, when this all plays out. What does it say? Because... So, and he, whoever's there is going to extend favour to us before the king and his advisors and all the king's powerful officials because the hand of the Lord my God was on me. And the result, I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go out with me. All along we see him. And I'll, I could show you again in chapter 8, but I'm not going to. The same thing happens, that the hand of the Lord was on him. And what I love about this, and I think this is a wonderful thing, if you're a person, if you're a Christian in Ukraine at the moment, how difficult it must be to remain faithful in those circumstances. But if you have the law of the Lord in your hand and the hand of the gracious God upon you, you can take courage in whatever situation you find yourselves in. Now, I say that here from the safety of Sydney, Australia, but I've seen people write it, pastors share it, even say from the, the, uh, the Baptist Theological College, what do they say? What do we do? Well, we go underground, we keep doing what we're doing. What's that? We keep preaching and teaching the gospel. The law of the Lord in the hand and the hand of God upon them. You see, the secular purposes of this world, yet when we look at the journeys and the way that the world and the narrative seems to be going, we might go, man, what's going on here? We're living in an increasingly complex reality where there's so many things. The fact that we even know about what's going on in Ukraine instantly can be tough. Anxiety driving. We don't know what's going on, God. But here, have a look. Mr. Art is, I can't say his name, I'm so sorry. Artaxerxes, yes, is able, yes, yes. It's only taken me 30 minutes, all right, we'll wrap up in a minute. He's trying to bring about what he wants to have happen, and through this, God is working. We see it all the time in Scripture, don't we? But we need to be reminded of this, that in whatever place you find yourself, whatever field of work you're in or influence that you have, you are a priest, you are a scribe in your context, in your field, working and living with what? The gracious hand of our God on you. The one who said, I will always be with you, even to the very end of the age. You see, Ezra is walking back, he is heading back into a new world reality. He is returning to, and I would love to unpack this more, we will as the weeks and years progress, he's, he's, he's wanting to work back and say, okay, we all need to be obedient in all things and make sure that, that God is near to us in all, at all times. But he's going back to a land that it used to be ruled by his people and his God in a, a secular way as well, as in the way that everybody viewed it. But now it's got, they're actually living in their land, but in exile, which is crazy for him. How do I live like that? Returning to a place where it doesn't actually seem like my God's making the rules. Does that sound familiar? God's people are going to have to figure out what it's like to live in exile whilst at home. We need to keep figuring that out. 
And the way to do it, to see reformation happen, to see revival happen, there's a consistent trend where the Word of God returns home. We see it in the Scriptures, we see it in history. The Word of God comes home. We see people repent, turn away from the things that aren't in line with living in line with what God says to do, and then get out there and go, we are now the priests who are proving that we are authentic in what it is that we teach. They listened, they learned, and then what do they do? They look to love as well. We are those people. And yet, I hope we can learn from Ezra and we can apply some very practical things, but also see the bigger, awesome purposes in this and the fact that God's gracious hand is upon it. We are a kingdom of priests, so we will be obedient in all things and we will know the nearness of God at all times and be able to share that with the world. We are scribes, the law in our hand, devoted, studying, observing, teaching, and we have God as our guide, His gracious hand on us. And so let's go and be those people, yes? Whether you're here just visiting, whether you're part of Menai Baptist Church, we get to go out and be those people in this world that needs to hear this. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a couple of songs. I think it'll be wonderful to actually sing the next one, the fact that we have our God with us. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for the example of Ezra. Thank you that in this journey, this story that we read, that there's something more going on than simply a bloke heading back and trying to help people live a particular way, that you have even bigger purposes in mind. Father, help us to be a people that know that we are your people. And if there's people in here who are questioning that, who are wondering whether they're good enough or not, remind them that it's not about them, (laughs) that it's about what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, that he is the great high priest. And please help them to turn to you and be reminded of that. For all of us that do trust and know and love you, help us to remember our role as the royal priesthood in this world. Help us to be scribes as well, committed, so deeply committed to the study of your word, devoted because we love it and know that it's our very heart's desire, not just to know the word of God, but to know the God who wrote it, to have an intimate relationship with you, our heavenly Father. And then help us to know that you are always with us, our guide, our rock, our salvation, our shield, our protector. And then might we go out, just like Ezra did, with courage and seek to demonstrate what it means to be a people who live with you as their God, whatever land we find ourselves in. And we pray all of this in the powerful name of the risen Lord Jesus Christ.